0: ben shapiro has this saying that he's known for facts don't care about your feelings it's a great phrase i love the sentiment i agree with the sentiment facts indeed do not care about your feelings and you know this really lies at the heart of it lies at the front of the conflict between the right and the left both in the culture and in the political sphere when we debate public policy in the direction our country ought to go on the left there's this premise that often goes without saying it's often presented as though it's self-evident that people's feelings are a reason to do literally anything at all, right? That that people's feelings carry the same weight and the same merit and have the same heft and gravity as a rational argument. And indeed, that's not even an accurate statement, that they carry more weight than a rational argument. Arguments need not apply under this worldview. And, you know... This is something that I've been thinking about over the past 24 hours because we had last night on the show in the second hour, we talked about this story out of Mora up north where a couple of women were breastfeeding their children without being covered up at a public pool, and they were confronted at first by another female uh, citizen who just you know happened to see it and took offense and walked up and asked them to cover up and they refused and so she went to the staff and then the staff got involved and then the staff turned to security and security got involved and it turned into this big what to do or hobgob over the breastfeeding of children and we talked about that and we t- t- talked about how ridiculous it is this argument that's often floated by this very small minority of people who think that it we it ought to be somehow okay to publicly expose yourself when you're feeding your child how absurd that is because it, under the argument that they often float which is that it's a natural human function it's a natural bodily function well there's all sorts of bodily functions that take place in private properly. And, you know, this is a pretty normal, non-controversial, non-revolutionary sentiment that really ought to go without saying. But yet, we're going to pretend as though it's something that needs to be debated. We had a call from Nathan, who's a semi-regular caller to the show, who uh, a self-identified progressive, who engaged me on a... Uh, from an angle and on a level that really threw me for a loop because instead of addressing the case as such and addressing the argument and talking about the facts of the case, he went right to feelings. He went right to, you know, as a libertarian, how do you think women feel about libertarianism when this is how you talk about their bodily functions? And this is the paraphrase of what he had to say. And I was just flabbergasted by the whole thing. And I realized, as I've been thinking about it over the past 24 hours, the absurdity of the premise that somebody else's feelings ought to dictate my position on a policy. If for no other reason than this, who gets to... How do we determine whose feelings take precedence, right? Because obviously... I have feelings too, right? Like my feelings are involved in the, the formation and expression of my beliefs. So d- does that matter? Do my feelings matter? Do other people, does the woman who walked up to this breastfeeding mother and asked her to cover up, does her feelings matter? Does the the feelings of the staff and the lawmakers who created the rules for the public pool and the the citizens who elected them and the children and parents who are going to this pool to have a good family time uninterrupted by public indecency and public exposure? Do any of those people's feelings matter or is it only the mother who wants to expose herself while breastfeeding? Is she the only person whose feelings matter? And this is. The Not revelation, but what I was reminded of as I reflected upon this over the past day, the fact that the left's absurd premise is that some people's feelings are more important than other people's because of who they are, and you know, the intersectional minority argument, and also because, naturally, their given position supports the overall leftist political and cultural agenda. And it's, it's, it's extraordinarily off putting to me. I mean, you want to talk about being, cause Nathan's whole case was you're, you're being, you're alienating women, you're pushing women away by talking about this in the manner that you are. Well, you're pushing me away, Nathan. And the left overall is pushing me away with your absurd notion that my feelings don't matter and the feelings of anybody who disagrees with you don't matter and ought to make way, ought to be displaced by your feelings for no reason whatsoever, because apparently reasons don't enter into the equation here. Logic isn't part of our consideration, isn't part of our discussion. It's only certain people who, because of their intersectional minority status or the, the liberal position that they're coming from are granted a sort of emotional moral authority. And so their feelings take precedent and the rest of us have to bow down in submission to them. There's a great piece written by Matt Walsh, that just cuts like a knife to the heart of this phenomenon. And I want to share it with you here tonight on Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Catch us streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you tuning in. You can catch up on past shows by doing a search for Closing Argument. Catch up on that call we had with Nathan last night by uh, going into your iHeartRadio app and doing that search, and our channel will pop right up. 651-989-5855 is the number to join us. Brad Ullman takes those calls and produces the show. It is Friday, so we are doing Freestyle Friday, where we open up the lines to whatever subject matter you want to discuss. If you want to go back to something we talked about earlier in the week, if you want to talk about what I'm talking about, or if you just want to bring up something completely random that we haven't yet discussed on the show, whatever floats your boat on this Friday evening, that we're live and local here on Closing Argument. Let's start with Lena in Grand Forks. Appreciate you calling.
1: Hello. Um, I wanted to talk about what Anthony and Colin were talking about last night in regards to a revolution of some sort in the country. Sure. Um, And I have another thought about the concept of envy, if there's time, up to you. But um, my first thought regarding what you're saying with feelings and breastfeeding Mm -hmm. is that so to preface this, so I live in super rural North Dakota right now, right. way up north, and I spent four to five years in the cities during college, so I understand both cultures pretty well, mm-hmm. and I feel that liberal people, especially Minneapolis, really care about feelings above all, to use the metaphor of give a man a fish versus teach him how to fish. Right. I feel my friends in the cities would say it's mean to force someone to learn how to fish when you have a fish right there in your backpack that you can <sighs> give them. And so I feel regarding the concept of morality and what feels good, I think in general, liberal people would prefer to do what feels good. And to make another example, my um, in-laws, when I let them know that I have a relative who's trans, who's going to be at our upcoming wedding, Uh they were stunned in the silence because they thought that that was a silly concept made up by People magazine that would never impact their life.
2: Right. Right.
1: Versus, if I were to tell my friends in Minneapolis, yeah, my in-laws had absolutely no idea what to do with my transsexual aunt. Mm-hmm. They would be horrified, right? And they would right. think I'm marrying a bunch of evil Ku Klux Klan members. Which,
0: which somehow. goes, which goes to the point that I started off with here tonight, which is that some people's emotional reactions and emotional constitutions are more important than others. You know, why? You have to tell me why the emotional. Considerations of your aunt are more important than the emotional considerations of your other family members or why the emotional considerations of that woman up and more who wanted to breastfeed uh, in the nude, basically in public mm-hmm. out in the open mm-hmm. is more important than the emotional considerations of literally everybody else. And, you know, when you talk about the the attitude, the uh, the sense of moral authority given to emotion from the friends you had uh, in the metro area it reminds me and you know i hate to be even more disparaging than i've already been but it it really does genuinely remind me of a child like i i got two boys 9 and 5 and both of them are too young to to really truly have insight and and understand to put themselves in the cognitive shoes of another human being and mm-hmm. so when you set you try to you try to explain to them this is how what you're doing makes somebody else feel they don't get it. Right. And they will at some point, that's part of the maturation process. But it seems to me like from the perspective of the left, so many of them never gain that skill. They only understand how they feel and everything outside of their own emotional universe is illegitimate. Yeah. It's
1: so bizarre to me because studying psychology, like it's It's literal milestones that people need to reach, which is to empathize and understand other people's perspectives. And it almost seems like the people I know in Minneapolis and whose at least psychology I somewhat understand, it's almost like they do it to the nth degree to the point that it, yeah, it it matters more than any type of utilitarianism or logic or general benefit to to society. It's only what matters to the individual. And it's kind of like tunnel vision. They care so much about the individual's feelings. They don't care about the health of the society as a whole. Well, and, and to what Anthony and Colin were saying, is I feel like that's such a huge divide between rural and metro areas. So, rural people understand they need to put food on the table before they need to care about each other's feelings. Right. Like, And in the hierarchy of needs, food comes first. Right. I don't think people in the metro area understand that. <laughs> I, and that I, is I, the divide wrong. that I think will drive the country apart.
0: I don't think you're wrong. Did you, you, you listed off a number of other things you had on your mind when you called in. Did, were we able to take through each of them?
1: Uh, well, the other concept was envy. Gotcha. Do you want me to yeah. expand upon that? Sure. Okay, so I could get into a personal story, but basically there's a person in my life who I feel like envy is tearing them apart to the point where comparison is a thief of joy. So when you generally think about how liberal people generally tend to be more dour, In their position, do you think any part of that is envy? Have you thought about that? Do you think they look at conservative people, people like Rush Limbaugh, for example, and they think, "Oh man, if only I could be like him and have his audience, maybe one day I'd be happy."
0: Yeah, no, it's it's label themselves. It's foundational to their entire worldview. I've described it as the the culture of grievance that they they are. Uh, th- that's foundational to how they view the world. Uh, the re- the only reason in their mind why they don't have what they want is because somebody else has either taken it from them or deprived them of the opportunity or 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 has failed to give them what they deserve. And again, that reminds me of a child. That's how a child mm-hmm. thinks. These are grown. These are people who have physically grown but have not mentally matured.
1: Why do you think that is?
0: Well. <sighs> Do you have some thoughts? <laughs> They're not forced to. <laughs> no, Brad, Brad just hit on it. Brad just hit on it. They're not forced to. They're not forced okay. to. Because they live in a context of prosperity and abundance, and we, they are able to get by on the 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 residual prosperity, the overflow of abundance that's enabled by the productivity of everybody else around them, particularly when you have so many redistributive mechanisms within our our uh, our, our public, uh, you know our our uh, our laws and our government and what have you, mm-hmm. it, it enables so. people to feel as though you know it's kind of like when When you have company over to your house and we we are going to have to go to a break, I really appreciate your call, Lena. I appreciate you listening from Grand Forks. but it's kind of like when you have relatives over to your house uh or friends or whoever you have company, and they don't you get the sense that they don't really necessarily appreciate all the effort you had to put into in order to provide what's there. It's almost like they walked onto a stage and everything was just magically presented there There's a similar sense in which a lot of folks in the society feel as though. The world, as they see it, just sprung out of the ground like a plant, like there was no actual effort or product productive uh, focus involved in doing it, and it's just there for them to enjoy and, you know, damn anybody who suggests that they might actually have to work for a living. I appreciate the call, Alina. We'll talk to Colin. Who Lena evoked when we come back, and uh, I want to get into eventually this piece from Matt Walsh. You're going to love it. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk. AM 11:30, 103.5 FM. Twin Cities News Talk. Friday tonight on Closing Argument, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. My name's Walter Hudson. 651-989-5855 to call up and say whatever you want as we head into the weekend. Let's talk to Colin in Minneapolis. Welcome once again.
1: Hey,
3: thank you. Um, basically, I, I couldn't agree with what you're saying anymore, and it even kind of harkens back to one of the things I mentioned last night about just how far unhinged the left is mm-hmm. and how it, it it's impossible to come to the middle and have any reasonable dialogue right and to kind of add on to what you're saying regarding how they feel about feelings versus factual arguments it'll even go to the point that they've become absolutely cannibalistic i saw something i think it was today or yesterday that you know obama had the nerve to post something on twitter make some comment about how you shouldn't try to shout down or disregard what people say right. based yep. on their, their skin color or their gender. Yep. And and leftists were literally saying like, I mean they turned on him like I never thought they would. And they literally I saw one one response to it that said that white speech is hate speech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you literally like so if, uh... if it just goes to show, like you literally cannot make a fact-based argument against them. When no. they are, no, no matter what, they're predetermined, well, and that, disregard anything you say.
0: And that goes to what we were talking about last night when I was talking about the culture of conquest, which, of course, the left is rooted in. You know, I, I refer, refer to it both as the culture of grievance and the culture of conquest. Grievance is the motivation. Conquest is the action that they take so motivated. And, and the, the, the desire to conquer, you know, it's for, for them— it is about displacing their enemies. You know, when you think yeah. about, a, when you think about like a, a barbarian conqueror, it's not somebody who just wants to take a little bit and then, you know, is that's, he's good. He wants to completely annihilate his enemy and salt the earth. That's the way the left is. You don't get to talk. The sentiment white speech is hate speech. What is the, pra- if you are actually going to take that sentiment seriously, what is its practical implication? It means you don't get to talk.
3: Ever. Well, and the the, the semi ironic thing about it was based on the the user's Twitter picture, it was a white male. So it's like you're, yeah, you're right, <laughs> yeah, <you're> right. <laughs> and and kind of to what the the previous caller was saying, how uh, like they they take it to the nth degree. Yeah, they, it's it's like a borderline crabs in the bucket mentality with virtue signaling, and they yeah. will just do whatever they can to make themselves look the most empathetic to the leftist cause du jour. That right. I, I right. just sit back and laugh at it right. at this point.
0: Well, and, you know, there was a point at which I didn't understand what it was they were getting after. Like, they think they're gonna, they're getting racking up some sort of progressive points that they're going to be able to enjoy, like a super afterlife or something. But, <laughs> but at this point, it actually does make sense that the contest – to prove that you're more woke than everyone else is kind of like, you know, trying to, to trip somebody next to you when you're each running away from a lion. And the lion is the, the leftist horde that's looking to devour whoever strays from the path. Even if it's Barack Obama, I appreciate the call no. Colin. Let's talk to Chris in Lino lakes. Welcome to the program. How do you
4: I'd like to make
0: two points? Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all,
4: um, your earlier conversation with the woman from uh, the Dakotas uh, reminded me of something my dad used to say. Um, he, he was always amazed that that people in this country are overweight and poor. He 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 had been to parts of the country where the definition of being poor meant you weren't overweight. You didn't have the resources to become overweight. Mm. Um, and, and you know just the, the whole concept that in our country we have such abundance, right? Um, that's, that, that's we, not even considered.
0: Right. right. We have diseases um, of abundance as opposed to afflictions uh, of want.
4: Correct. Yes. Um, and the other thing, what you're saying about how uh, it seems like 20-somethings or that generation consider feelings to be more important than facts. Um, I've gotten into conversations with, with people that age, um, and even with, with things like mass you'll explain a, a problem to them in the answer, and they'll explain that they, they feel that that answer is wrong. Right. Even right. with something like math.
0: I haven't personally encountered that, and I don't know how you, like, I mean, it, it's, it's beyond the ability of me to even begin to comprehend how somebody could even try to make an emotional argument about something like math. <laughs> I mean, what, where does the impulse even come from to try? That it, it, it's from, I
4: believe, it's from being raised with an over, um, you know, um, believing that over accommodating are, are more important than facts.
0: Right. All right, I appreciate it, Chris. Yeah, Thanks for that's all I have to say. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for joining the program. All right, I want to get into this piece here from Matt Walsh at the Daily Wire. But in order to really, truly unpack it, we're going to need some time. So we're going to go ahead and, and uh, go to a break. We will get to you after the bottom of the hour news. Closing argument. My name is Walter at Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.
2: The southern
5: wind sings again a lullaby.
0: So I'm a big fan of Matt Walsh. I really enjoy his commentary. You know, there are certain people, you know, when I read him as a writer myself and as somebody who's engaged in commentary, when I read him or listen to him talk in his videos that he does over the Daily Wire, I feel as though I'm playing tennis with somebody who's better than me and that in doing so, I get better through playing with him. You know, he he sets a standard that I try to strive toward. And this piece that I'm about to share with you here from the Daily Wire called How the Left Kills Diversity, may be the magnum opus. This may be the the pinnacle of his achievement in commentary. I don't know if it gets any better than this. I don't know that it can be improved. I certainly know that there's no way anyone could possibly come up with a rational refutation of the case he makes here. Closing argument, my name is Walter Ratson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and your iHeartRadio app, two ways to stream us. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights, 651-989-5855 to join us. It is Freestyle Friday, so we'll be quite loose on the topic. Whatever direction you want to take the show, we will go. Brad Ullman takes those calls and produces the program. From Matt Walsh, Yesterday I wrote about the latest progressive campaign to redefine masculinity. The label is too constricting and old-fashioned, we're told, and so it must be changed to accommodate those who don't fit it. This is the left's approach to everything. They want to expand all definitions and all labels into oblivion in the hopes that nobody will be left out, excluded, or made to feel like an other. This effort, of course, extends beyond concepts like masculinity and femininity to encompass even manhood and womanhood themselves. Everything is fluid now. Nothing means anything. But there's a big problem here, aside from the fact that the whole thing is insane. The other problem is, in this effort to embrace diversity, we have actually killed it. By getting rid of labels, we have taken away a person's ability to fall outside of the label. By pretending that differences aren't different, we have erased the things that are supposed to be accepting of. You cannot have a difference unless there is a standard, a definition by which that difference can be recognized as a difference. And you cannot have diversity unless you have differences. The more we redefine things, the more obsolete and irrelevant diversity becomes. In the dark old ages, there were masculine men and feminine men and men who fell in between. Masculinity was recognized as the standard, the norm, but not every man was a masculine or as masculine as the next. And some men were naturally more feminine than others. A man was free to be a different sort of man because he was free to be a man. Diversity could exist within manhood because the word manhood was meaningful and objective. Now we accommodate the different men by pretending they are not different then we are told to celebrate their differences. But how? We cannot celebrate a difference if we don't recognize it as such. And there cannot be a difference unless there is something solid for which the difference is a deviation from. We say it is bad for a person to to feel like an other, but there cannot be diversity without others. That is the whole point of diversity. In a similar way, if a boy has girlish interests and tendencies we will now declare that he must really be a woman inside. This is not only scientifically incoherent, but it defeats what I thought was supposed to be the point. For years, the left, in, the left insisted that it's okay for boys to be feminine. Then they began insisting that feminine boys are girls. Well, how can they, how can a boy be feminine if his femininity makes him a girl? And how could a boy even say that if he doesn't feel like a boy, how can he even say he doesn't feel like a boy if there aren't any particular tendencies, attributes, and characteristics associated with boyhood anymore? There are a hundred other examples of this kind of thing. The left wants to melt us all down into one homogenous, label genderless glob, and yet will we'll still cite diversity as its chief aim. But diversity is precisely the thing that becomes impossible when we are all the same. They are killing the thing they say they want, which gives rise to a certain suspicion maybe diversity is not actually what they want and never was. That from Matt Walsh over at the Daily Wire. And like I say, in my view, the the pinnacle achievement of his uh, career in commentary, Mike dropped, I don't know where else you go from that. And it's absolutely true, is it not? This notion that, you know, and I have this general rule, this rule of thumb, that everything the left says, the opposite is true. And it works on two levels, both in terms of their, their factual claims, like if they say something is a certain way, chances are the literal opposite of their factual claim is true. And test this out. It works most of the time. And it also works on another level, which is when they claim that they're after a particular thing, Such as diversity. In point of fact, they're really pursuing the opposite of what they claim they are. And and it works in another way as well. When they complain about their opposition, their opponents, when they complain about conservatives, whatever they accuse us of being or doing, they are in fact doing and being. You know, racism, sexism, homophobia, you know, go down the list. They're the ones. Who are actually judging people based upon irrelevant demographic characteristics, t- telling people, you know, when we had the call from Nathan last night, self-identified progressive, the first question out of his mouth was, why don't you, <laughs> why don't you have more female listeners, more female callers? And why aren't more women attracted to libertarianism? You know, Lena, apparently he doesn't think you exist. Lena was our first caller this evening female from north dakota and when i said look we do have women who call into the program you know they, it's i i don't keep track I, you know I'm, I'm not concerned about the demographics of my callers or my listeners and so i'm not you know keeping tabs on it but i can tell you i've talked to more than one woman in my time they do listen to the program they do call in every once in a while his immediate knee-jerk reaction to that was well i'm not interested in your token numbers that was a verbatim quote I'm not interested in your token numbers. Wow. Wow. Now, token, you know, as a black conservative, as a black Republican, this is a term that I've heard before, as you might imagine. And is there anything more dismissive? Is there anything more arrogant? Is there anything more condescending? than discounting the legitimacy of a person's politics, their opinions, their thoughts, their identity, than calling them a token. You know, as if, oh, oh, I'm not interested in, you know, that person's opinion because they're not indicative of my point that I'm trying to make. And this is what the left does. If you don't fit into their prescribed category, if you're not, you know, on, on the left, you're only really a woman. If you agree with what leftist women are supposed to say, if you're a conservative and happen to be equipped with female genitalia, you might, you're something else. You're, you you can not be a woman. I, I don't know what you are, but you're not a woman as the left sees it. You're a token, which begs the question. Why? Like why? If that's all it is, if it's, if it's just, you know, people being used, why are they submitting themselves to that? Is this a question we can ask? Like, what's in it for me to be a token black Republican? What am I getting out of it? How is my life better because of it? What's in it for Lena being a token conservative Christian woman in the era of being woke, in the era of the resistance, in the era of the fight against Donald Trump? How does that help her? How does that make her life better? And how how can you, on the one hand claim to care so much about the feelings of those who are in the minority, whether it be blacks or women or whatever the case may be. And you you care so much about how they feel and their lived experience and want to listen to what they have to say until they say something that you disagree with or did not expect. And then all of a sudden it's, well, you need to shut up. You need to take your seat in the back of the proverbial bus of public discourse. this this isn't. We don't serve your kind here in the Democratic Party. We don't serve your kind here on the left. People who think independently, people who think for themselves, people who think that there's something virtuous in productivity and reason. That doesn't go along with our argument. That isn't part of the plan for conquest. And so you need to keep your mouth shut and stop it with your white speech, that is hate speech, as Colin put it. Right. (laughs) This is what we're up against. And, you know, it's it's maddening. It's it truly is maddening. You know, it's I. If there's one sense in which because, you know, I tend not to. Not to get into the whole, you know, as a black man type of reasoning, you know, I try I try to stay away from. Unless it's relevant to a particular story or it's relevant to a particular point that I'm trying to make. Because I don't think of myself in those terms. I don't think of myself in terms of race, or or my or other demographic identity categories. However, the one sense in which I actually can relate to this to the victimization of the left, the the ways in which they portray themselves as victims, the one sense in which I can actually relate to that is in how I am treated by the left, how I am treated on account of the fact. That I'm black, mixed race, to be technically accurate, but not a Democrat, not a leftist, not woke, a Christian who actually believes the Bible was written by the hand of God and means what it says, not what people think it should mean, right? Like all of these things make me an aberration. They they it completely invalidate my feelings, and they completely invalidates my opinion. So what I think and I feel and I say and my lived experience does not count. Magically, magically, my black skin will not save me from the scourge of the left. And if you're a woman, your genitalia will not save you from the disparagement of the left. They're going to come after you if you don't think the way they think you should. We'll talk to Anthony in St. Paul when we return. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, 651 989 5855,
2: twincitiesnewstalk.com.
0: Well, I appreciate you guys calling in. I got to tell you, I get to this point in the week and my mind is already halfway out the door. Last night I had a five hour, a five hour window to sleep. I had to get up at 5.30 in the morning, and my body woke me up at 4, 4 o'clock. So I'm on my 19th hour of being awake, and the effect of coffee at this point is just to make me loopy. Like, I don't think it's actually doing anything for me other than just kind of like, you know, revving up the blood pressure a little bit. Closing argument. My name is Walter and Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855. The number to join us Got a number of folks already on the line. Let's go to Anthony in St. Paul. Thanks for holding
5: hey, thank you so much for taking my call. I'm sure you're tired of hearing from me. Um, no, not at all. I just wanted to say you are one hundred percent on fire i can't I almost can't even add on to what you're saying uh the left has such a way of invalidating those that don't agree with them mm-hmm. to the point where they've already got they've already alienated the majority of white people in this country. I have no idea how they're planning on winning without, without the majority.
0: They're not. One
5: thing I want to say, I cannot wait, and I, it's, going to happen, it's going to happen in the next few elections. I cannot wait for a black conservative to win the nomination, or even better, a female black conservative right. to win the Republican nomination, just to see how far they really go. Yeah. Just to see. I, that would be a spectacle,
0: yeah, it really would. Well, and we've already seen uh, kind of a precursor in, in the forms of you know the treatment of uh, Ben Carson and um, um, Clarence Thomas, and uh, I'm trying to think of the who's the gal who was part of the George W. Bush administration, Condoleezza Rice. Condoleezza Rice. Yeah, right. I mean, there's this, we we've seen this precursors is the era of,
5: it. of being woke, as you right. said. There's like this it, it's different now people are really paying attention now you 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 see hypothetically ben carson makes the comeback in the future because he he truly cares for his fellow man you wait i could totally see a guy like that getting the nomination at some point right. he has the right, if he has the right people backing him and i cannot wait to see how they try to say he's an uncle tom yep. how, you know because he's yep. actually successful He's not a real black guy, right. but totally ignore the fact that Obama went to probably the richest high school right. in Hawaii where, where kids are driving Lamborghinis and they're, get, and they're getting all sorts of treatment here. And he, had, he related, in my opinion, I I might, maybe my opinion's not valid here, but I don't think Obama related at all to the, to the average person, let alone the average black person, that they still thought was you know their champion.
0: Appreciate the call as always, Anthony. Let's go to someone who has a different perspective. KW in Minneapolis, welcome to the program. Appreciate you calling.
6: You're welcome. You know, I sincerely believe that you have you haven't had enough sleep. <laughs> so, so man, you, man, you, I mean, you first. I mean, I, I got in the car. Heard putting men in all kind of categories: masculine, male, feminine, female, and you know at the At the end of the day, the only thing that really matters is that who carries fertilizer and who carries eggs but uh, with that said, why do you even call yourself a black conservative and anybody anybody on the so-called left who calls you uh i guess terrible uh derogatory names they're not really what a a so-called liberal because I'm a liberal, and I feel that every human being has a, uh innate right to speak thought. And I would never degrade another human being because they think differently than I. What I could do, I can only engage in debate and just to explain to them why being on the so-called right is, is against the advancement of humanity, equal rights and justice for all. Of them.
0: Well, I'd be very interested in uh, engaging in that debate, but for the time being, I'm a little more interested in this notion that, you know, look, I, I'm not going to argue with you about your claims of your own personal characteristics. I hope w- what you're saying is true, that you do treat people as individuals and that you I don't, don't denigrate them for having opinions that are different than you. And I believe that be that as it may. Do you dispute the fact that the, the overwhelming face of leftist culture as presented in the media and uh, in the form of the Democratic party is not like that at all? You know, and I guess in every category there are exceptions. Well, I mean, you know, look, listen, you know, listen. An exception. But, the when, generally speaking, you know, as a rule of thumb, when you're t- when you're looking at something, the exception is the thing that happens less often. And what I what I would pre- uh, present is that what the exception is you. Like you, f- the attitude that you're bringing to the table here is the exception to the rule. The rule is. They're engaged in total war, where they're interested in destroying their enemies, insulting the earth with their remains. There, there's no interest. Look, Ben Shapiro, I, I don't know if you heard this story or not. There was an actor, I don't remember the actor's name, who had the audacity. I heard about that. Yeah, to just tweet out that Ben Shapiro's a nice guy. Like, I disagree with him. We, he's, he's on the right, I'm on the, lift, the left, but he's a nice guy. If you're ever looking to hear from the other side, Ben Shapiro is a good source to talk to. The guy was eviscerated on social media to the point where he, he had to I'll delete like his tweet right and here. issue an apology.
6: Oh, like I said, this right here—the right does not have the market on um, uh, on um, being hypocritical. know, it just gets so frustrating. You know, when when especially in politics, when someone come out. And voice their opinion and their thoughts. Double side feel is, is necessary for them to uh, belittle, degrade, uh, embarrass.
0: Well, listen, so I hope I hope that your perspective on that catches on and that it becomes viral and that it uh, it drowns out these voices of intolerance that uh, seem to be, at the very least, even if even if you know we grant you the premise that they're the minority. They're definitely the loudest, so perhaps okay. they can be but, suppressed a little. Uh, one
6: bit. one question for you, though. Yeah. A question for you, I was thinking about which is better, a conservative or a black conservative.
0: What's better? There's no qualitative. There's no qualitative difference whatsoever. To answer that question you, that you, you present
6: you call yourself a black conservative. I heard you say that. And
0: right. In the, that. in the context of talking about a worldview that judges me based upon my skin, which by the way is the leftist worldview. Like, the only reason why I have to identify as black is because that matters to your folks. It doesn't matter to mine. I appreciate the call, as always, KW. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. 651-989-5855. Freestyle Friday. We'll take the conversation in whatever direction you want this evening. TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. 31035 FM, closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Streaming at twincitiesnewstalk.com and your iHeartRadio app. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights, live and local this evening on a Friday, taking you into your weekend. Freestyle Friday. That means we'll take your calls at 651 989 5855, and you can steer the course of our conversation in whichever direction you so choose. Brad Oma takes those calls and produces the show. Let's welcome Zach from Lino Lakes to the program.
7: Yeah, good to talk again. So, when the left talks about um, when the left talks about victimhood, many people don't realize like that's that's a judicial term. That's a issue. That's a what um, Reconstructionists call an ethical judicial term, where. It's an issue of right and wrong, and it's an issue of justice. Mm. And so, when the left talks about victimhood, I mean, the, the, the schizophrenia is pretty obvious because they support um, victimizing the most vulnerable people in in, right. in a society, which would right. be preborn children.
2: Yeah.
7: And uh, but this is this is something that I don't think most political factions truly understand. You See, victim again, because it's a judicial term. I mean, just think about all sorts of different hot-button issues of our time, police shootings, the Me Too movement.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: I mean, let's just take the Me Too movement, for example. See, both left and right, you know, th- there's issues of justice in institutions, whether it be the, the halls of justice or in uh, various uh, private institutions, whether it be businesses or... Um, you know, religious institutions of some kind, quote unquote, religious institutions, and uh, where where the powerful uh, are given, uh, you know, a, a different standard than uh, than the weaker people. Right. Yeah. And and so, like, when when uh, people say like when pe- when the left speaks of victimhood, their hypocrisy is obvious because uh, I mean that's that assumes that, that there's an ultimate standard of right and wrong by which to determine whether or not somebody is being harmed or not, mm-hmm. and harmed assumes by definition that there's an absolute standard of right and wrong. Right. But I think um, I think every single political faction, every single uh, theological faction, they, they don't really grasp this, and as a result, justice is turned into bitterness, as Scripture says, mm. and nobody uh, like you know, even conservative Christians have a lot to repent of. Sure. Because, I mean, there's been so many more cases recently coming coming out where uh various higher ups in um denominations have uh covered up sexual abuse. Right. And uh this is this is all because people people run away from the status of victim on on the right
2: mm-hmm.
7: or they hypocritically invoke victim on the left. And uh uh, we, we gotta we gotta understand what God's word says about justice. Otherwise, this, this people will keep getting victimized again and again and again and again.
0: I appreciate the thoughts as always, Zach. I always appreciate Zach's contributions to the show. As I was listening to him talk, it occurred to me that for the left, victimhood is a it's a permanent status. Like once you've achieved. You know, once you've unlocked the achievement of victimhood on the left, that's who you are. It's defi- its a definitional aspect, a characteristic of your being. How many tokens do you get for unlocking victimhood? Yeah, right. And once you once you're there, you're always there. And so, you know, because as Zach points out, under a under a biblical concept of justice and you could you could also interchangeably say a rational concept of justice victimhood is a temporary state right like victimhood is an imbalance that can be put right and we properly ought to take action in order to correct and to balance the scales you know we 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 don't once you've been victimized we don't refer to you as a victim for the rest of your life or we shouldn't Because the objective is to restore you, to bring you back whole once more, to redeem you, to put you where you were so that you can proceed as if nothing had happened. That's redemption, right? And the left's view is completely distorted and the opposite of that. In their mind, victimhood is a permanent state. And it can never be rectified, it can never be redeemed, it can never be put right. And when you realize that, their appeal to justice, their evocation of the term justice, is revealed as being entirely disingenuous. When they talk about justice, particularly social justice, they're not actually referring to any sort of objective concept of justice whatsoever, they're not referring to the correction of a wrong or the the uh, redemption of an imbalance they're referring to a perpetual state of revolution and conquering of the oppressor of those who they've defined as the oppressor you know the wait, one of our callers i believe it might have been colin talked about how you know someone in the public discourse said something to the effect of white speech is hate speech just pause and just think about that for a minute white speech is hate speech what are the implications of that sentiment if that's true if on some like forget you know trying to come up with some sort of rational argument for how it could be true because there is none and and you're gonna you're gonna hurt yourself trying to come up with one but let's just assume for the sake of argument that that is true that sentiment is correct White speech is hate speech. White speech is inherently wrong. When is that ever not going to be true? When is that injustice ever going to be set right? At what point? Like, how many reparations checks? How many Black Congress people? You know, how many Black Panthers do we have to go buy tickets to? Like, at what point do we? Uh, you know, unlock social justice. When when do we get that achievement where we've actually found the promised land where all the wrongs have been put right? And the answer is never, never, never. There is never going to be a point. No matter what the lefties do, never how, no matter how much power they obtain, no matter how many laws they pass, no matter how many reforms or programs they implement, we are never going to reach the end of the revolution because the revolution is not designed to end. It's designed to be endless. They're never going to be done. Until, like locusts, they devour everything. And we know this. This is not hyperbole. This is not speculation. We know this because we've seen it happen to other societies and other nations wherever leftism has gone unanswered. And has assumed total control of the culture and the state. Venezuela comes to mind. The Soviet Union comes to mind. The China under Mao comes to mind. Right? Stalin's Russia. We've seen what happens when their ideas are unleashed, and it's not, they don't get to a point where they're like, well, you know, now that we've achieved total power, I think we're satisfied. Well, we're just going to, you know, stop it right here. No, they're never done. They're never done moving forward right over your rights. I think it was Mao Zedong who said socialism is the hammer by which we destroy our enemies. Yeah, there you go. That's that's right in line with this notion of the culture of conquest that we've been talking about. That that is where they're coming from. Look, we're, we're what we're dealing with here. We, to one degree or another, we all, by virtue of our mortality, by virtue of the fact that we have a limited lifespan and a limited experience, that we came into existence at our birth, and that we we don't we don't have firsthand experience of what came before and we we look ahead to a point at which we're going to expire at some point, and we have this very thin window through which we can gaze through and perceive time and history, we all suffer to one degree or another from the historian's fallacy. The historian's fallacy is this tendency to look back upon the past and view it through the perceptual prism of the present. And to assume that people in the past thought the same way or, or proceeded from the same assumptions or had the same information that we have today. And so we judge things that happened before as, as if they were happening today in today's context. And when we do that, we end up misperceiving, misunderstanding history. We don't get it. We don't catch it. We don't understand what actually happened. And, you know, I think one of the manifestations of this is when we think of things as being new that in actuality are quite ancient. The left, for all their talk of being progressive and moving forward and pushing us to tomorrow and having a better tomorrow and a better future, for all their, their rhetoric arrayed around the notion of being futuristic and forward-thinking— The fact of the matter is, their ideas are the oldest on Earth. Their ideas are ancient. Their ideas were prevalent amongst humanity for the vast majority of humans' existence on this planet. And the idea is quite simple. If I want, I take. If I want, I take. If somebody else has, and I want, I bash them, and I take. That's it. Conquest conquer take and if if i don't have something it's because i haven't done enough taking today you know if if I want more, well, then I need to go out and find a new enemy and take what they have that's been that has been the 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 full breadth of human philosophy for most of human existence. I want something i'm going to take it, and so all the left is doing. Is they're they're regressing us back to that? They're bringing forth the American Revolution, Western civilization, the the gift which the Judeo-Christian worldview bestowed upon us of thinking in terms of individuality and true progress, thinking in terms of making the world a better place through human productivity and through self improvement and through investment in the future and having a positive, optimistic forward-thinking future orientation, right? Like, tomorrow is going to be a better day. Why? Because I'm going to make it a better day. And I have faith in my ability to do that. And I have faith in my relationships and my community and my God, right? That's what Western civilization has given to the world. And the left is saying, no, you know what? We like things the way they were before, in the dark ages, where it was might by right and rule by decree and and whatever the king says goes because his feelings are more important than his subjects. And that is quite literally the style of reasoning that's been brought to the table in the public discourse. We heard it last night on this program. Some people's feelings are more important than yours, Walter. Some people's desires, some people's perceptions, some people's opinions, some pigs are more equal than others. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. So, news talk, Doc.
2: The the
0: so part of the mentality that we've been exploring tonight, this, well, there's no other way to put it, childish mentality, we're in you view things only through your own perspective and are totally incapable of insight, totally incapable of putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and understanding how they perceive it and reacting with something resembling empathy and consideration. This is demonstrated in an article over at collider, which if you're not familiar with that, that's a, an entertainment news site, which, uh, you know, generally speaking when, when they're able to confine their commentary to entertainment to movies and television and you know comic booky stuff, I really enjoy them. I've always, I've been a fan of Collider, but they're all, you know they're from Hollywood, so they're a bunch of leftists. So of course that leftist perspective ends up sneaking into their reporting, and they got a piece over there regarding James Gunn, who is the director of the two Guardians of the Galaxy films, the Marvel films. And uh, if you don't know much about James Gunn, you know, it's 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 actually his story of having come from, you know, relatively unknown, independent film. He came from this company called Troma, which is like this intentionally B-movie horror sci-fi outfit. And, you know, if you go and you look at the the filmography of James Gunn, a lot of his earlier pieces are <laughs> interesting. We'll just leave it at that. And so, you know, he has ascended to this level of success working under Marvel Studios and, and writing and directing both Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, both of which were massively successful. And in my opinion, deeply entertaining. I enjoyed both those movies. And yet now he's out. He's been fired. He's been fired by Disney, fired by Marvel Studios. Why? from Collider. James Gunn was an unlikely choice to helm a major blockbuster when he boarded Guardians of the Galaxy. Gunn came up through the ranks of trauma and wasn't shy about material that could be deemed offensive or upsetting. But Guardians showed he could still make a movie with his edgy personality, yet palatable enough to be a blockbuster hit. Unfortunately, after some conservative personalities dug up some of his old tweets that joked about rape and pedophilia, Gunn has been fired from the upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So you understand, folks, it's not James Gunn, the actual author of the tweets. He's not responsible for this. It's the conservative personalities, and the author later on in the same article refers to them as conservative trolls who, you know, googled his old tweets and put them together and said, hey, here's some things this guy has said. It's their fault that the guy got fired. Now, when I talk about that, the myopic perception, the childish perception whereby you're only capable of seeing things from your own perspective, this is a golden example of it, right? Because there's no sense of irony from this author regarding the fact that what happened to James Gunn you know being drummed out of his job because of something he said years ago in jest that that's been happening to people all over the place instigated by the left for years and instead of condemning that right like instead of being like listen we this is ridiculous we can't be be firing people from their jobs not be, not for cause, not because of something they actually did wrong in the conduct of their job or while engaged in representing the company they work for, but because of something they tweeted in jest years ago in a completely unrelated context. Instead of making that argument, which would be a sound, rational argument, the complaint is those damn conservative personalities, those horrible conservative trolls. Which is so stupid, because every time you hear about a scandal on Twitter, it's from some leftist. Right. And who do you think, ultimately, who do you think's responsible for the... Look, this... He, J- James Gunn is another victim of me, too. That's what this is. Like, the the people who made the decision to fire him were Hollywood leftists, inspired by the same knee-jerk reaction that has resulted in other people's firings. You know, the reason that... Uh, Kevin Spacey is no longer going to be working on House of Cards, which, you know, that show, look, it's an ensemble show to a large degree, but he is the anchor of that show, and that wasn't enough to protect him. James Gunn, you know, this author points out at Collider, Guardians of the Galaxy is a $1.5 billion franchise, just Guardians. Not all of Marvel, Just Guardians, $1.5 billion, and James Gunn wrote it and directed it. He completed the script for Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and now isn't going to be able to see it through to fruition, isn't going to be able to direct it because of this pushback, because of this reaction to some tweets that he sent out years ago. Now, the tweets were horrible, don't get me wrong. They're god-awful, they're in poor taste, but that's James Gunn. That's who he is, and you know what, Marvel? You knew that when you hired him. You knew that. Let's not pretend that you didn't know what trauma was, that you hadn't, you know, checked out his filmography, that you hadn't watched Slither, right? Like you, you hadn't seen the the pedigree from which James Gunn was bred. You understood what you were getting. But now because of the the disinfectant of sunlight that's been cast by conservative trolls, you have to virtue signal by firing the guy and undercutting your own business interest. That's what's truly amazing about this is that Hollywood is at a point where apparently they don't even care about making money anymore. And it doesn't matter how much money you've made them, it doesn't matter how good you are at your job, if you have strayed outside the bounds of acceptable conduct, acceptable speech, you're done. You're on the blacklist. I mean, they're the ones the, the left is always evoking mccarthyism. You know, this is the other way in which they're myopic. Always evoking McCarthyism and and the the sense that they're being they've are are being oppressed because of their political views and what have you. But nobody in our culture does more to suppress their political opponents, and not even their political opponents, even their friends and allies, the people who think like them and support them in their political endeavors for straying momentarily or years in the past from the path that's been prescribed of wokeness. It really is rather bizarre. Another individual who is facing fire for uh, past deeds is retiring Minnesota Representative Rick Nolan from the Pioneer Press. He is facing questions surrounding his handling of a former top staffer accused of harassing and groping young female staffers. Mempost reported Thursday that the Democrats' former legislative director, Jim Switterski, Was allowed to leave the job rather than be fired after women came forward with complaints about his conduct. Now that's that is an odd hair to split in my mind. He was allowed to leave his job rather than be fired. Like, what is it that you're really complaining about there? That it. At any rate, several former staff members requesting anonymity to protect their careers told the online news site that Swiderski would frequently make inappropriate comments. One woman said the legislative director groped her often. But months after he exited the office, Nolan's 2016 re-election campaign hired Swodarski to work remotely on the campaign. Nolan and Chief of Staff Jody Torkelson confirmed in statements to MinPost that Swodarski was separated from the job and briefly worked on the 2016 campaign. Nolan said, in hindsight, it was a mistake to hire Swodarski to the campaign. In a statement later Thursday, Nolan said he has zero tolerance for inappropriate behavior in the workplace, which is obviously not true. Like, obviously, right? I mean, by virtue of the fact that he hired him back, it's strange. A cell phone number listed for Swarovski did not accept voicemail. Torkelson told MinPost that Swarovski had denied the allegations. Nolan is leaving Congress after three hard-fought victories in the northeastern Minnesota swing district that has been among the most expensive house races in the country. But questions surrounding his leadership could affect next month's close three-way Democratic primary for governor. Attorney General Lori Swanson just made Nolan her running mate last month. And therein lies the rub. This is the Democrats torpedoing their own. Because, look, all these staffers who are coming forward and, you know, telling their story, what they just, they, they woke up this morning and they just recalled and suddenly develop this sense of urgency that this story must be told? No, this is about the governor's race. This is about the Democratic primary, which tells you a little something about their true priorities. If if the Me Too thing was really about the the valuation and rights of women, wouldn't it have been more important to deal with this when it was happening than to bring it up now in the context of a Democratic primary contest? But no, it wasn't politically expedient then. So. You know, it tells you what they really care about. 651-989-5855. Twin Cities New Stock AM
2: 1130,
0: FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. all we need is You and me So, it's been fun tonight. I I We've spent a lot of time reflecting upon how horrible the left is, and that's always... Uh, a fun topic on conservative talk radio. It makes us feel warm and fuzzy. We're able to bask in the delight of, uh, deconstructing our political and cultural foes, but you know, it wouldn't be closing argument and I wouldn't be me, Walter Hudson, if I didn't spend at least a little bit of time directing my criticism at us, (laughs) directing my criticism at Republicans, at conservatives, and, of course, at President Donald Trump and, specifically, his economic policies. 651-989-5855 is the number to join us. Brad Omlin takes those calls and produces the show. From Cato, a few weeks ago, President Trump surpassed his 500th day in office. That's a good vantage point to appraise his economic policies to make America great again. Over at the Library of Economics and Liberty's Econ Log, I offer my assessment. This is Thomas Friary writing over at Kiddo, and it's not good. This may seem surprising given current economic conditions, but economic policy isn't merely about the current moment, but predominantly about improving economic conditions long term. Aside from a couple provisions in the December 2017 tax law, President Trump has done precious little in that regard and much to harm the economy long term. From borrow and spend fiscal policy to harmful trade and immigration policies to disinterest in serious regulatory reform to his refusal to face the country's jury long term fiscal challenges. Magonomics appears to be little more than an impulsive dislike of free trade and immigration, a hazy desire for less regulation, disinterest in or perhaps a lack of courage to face the nation's long term fiscal problems and a desire to temporarily lower taxes without taking or without making the hard choices necessary to fiscally balance those cuts and make them enduring. In other words, Magonomics is a slogan supporting a few weak and many harmful initiatives, not a serious collection of policies thoughtfully designed to strengthen the nation's economic health. Now, I understand that this is a tough pill to swallow. This is some bitter medicine to really face this, to really think about this. But this author is right, Thomas Fiery, writing over at Cato. You know, the the things are good now because as it turns out when you cut taxes the economy does better right when when you cut regulations the economy thrives liberty is is a balm to productivity but it is temporary in the sense that's outlined here because the larger problems are not being addressed. And this is not just true of the fiscal policy and economics. It's also true of the dreaded swamp and the dreaded deep state. You know, there's this series, this web series. It's available on Facebook. I'm sure you can Google it. It's called simply The Swamp. That's what it's called. And it features Tom Massey, congressman, amongst many others, telling their personal stories of what it's like to work in Washington, D.C., And, you know, the the summary of Thomas Massey's testimony in particular is that to be a congressman is to be a fundraiser. That is their number one job. No joke. Their number one job, both in terms of the amount of time spent and the prioritization given to their number one job is to raise money for their party. And it's pay for play. In Washington, DC. The committee assignments, which committee you get to be on, you know, the committee chairmanships, the 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 grade of types of committees and what have you, all of that is for sale, quite literally, or for rent to be more accurate, because you know, if you if you pony up and pay your dues enough to get on a committee, but you stop, you don't continue to pay your rent for your seat, it will be taken away from you. Now, this is something that I have not heard Donald Trump speak to at all, not specifically, not in detail. And he has the ability much more so than a Facebook web series. Donald Trump has the bully pulpit. He has the great spotlight of attention that follows him wherever he leads. He could fix this if he wanted to. Problem is, it's hard. It's hard. He would get pushback. You 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 think he gets pushback now? It ain't nothing. The pushback he gets now is largely rhetorical. It's largely kabuki theater. You know, the the left, of course, has their hair on fire and you know sincerely sincerely wishes for blood in the streets because that's who they are. That's where they come from. But the the much of the indignation that's directed Trump's way from moderates and conservatives is largely kabuki theater. If he were to seriously go after the deep state, if he were to seriously go after, you know, like meaningful constitutional reforms, scaling back the bureaucracy in a in a sizable and tangible and long-term sustainable fashion, if he were to go on fiscal policy, if he were to go after entitlements, which, you know, he's never even talked. He doesn't even talk about it. He doesn't talk about Social Security. He doesn't talk about, you know, the, the national debt, the fact that we're. Running towards a fiscal cliff and at, at you know full bore speed and have done precisely nothing to deviate our course or to slow down. He's not interested in talking about any of that. And this is a problem. And the problem, you know, the problem politically is that a lot of this is going to come to a head right about the time voters are going to the polls this year from Politico. President Donald Trump's trade wars could become a major political drag for Republicans with job losses and price increases piling up just as voters head to the polls in November. Trump jolted markets once again early Friday when he said he's prepared to impose penalties on some $500 billion in Chinese goods regardless of the consequences that might ensue economic or, or political. Look, I'm not doing this for the politics, the president said on CNBC. I'm doing this to do the right thing for our country. Now, you got to give it to him there, right? Like, he did campaign on this. This is his conviction. He does believe that this is the right thing for America. He just happens to be wrong. Continuing at Politico, market analysts, industry experts, and economists warn that the economic fallout of the president's tariffs, uh, those that are already in effect, and those that he's threatening to impose, is only going to intensify over the coming months and could reach a peak around election time. We're already hearing complaints now from companies, so by the time we get to the midterms, you're going to be hearing governors, mayors, Congress, complaining about jobs, about cost increases, about problems, Carlos Gutierrez, a former Commerce Secretary under President George W. Bush, told Politico. The question is, will that be strong enough to offset the idea that we have to get tough on our trading partners and that our jobs are being stolen overseas? I'll tell you this, firsthand experience. This is already happening. I attended a municipal meeting for my city earlier this week where, you know, the city's looking at budgeting. The city's city's looking at what uh, we're going to end up levying for the taxes next year. And we heard a particular presentation regarding the future needs of our fire department. And, you know, we're looking at what they call, you know, capital improvement plans in terms of, you know, how do do we plan, how do we most efficiently plan for future equipment replacements that we know are going to come due? And one of the considerations, one of the factors that influences how much money we're going to have to spend is surprise, surprise, steel tariffs. Donald Trump's tariff, I can say with certainty that Donald Trump's tariffs on steel will cost taxpayers in my city more money and present a public safety threat to the extent that it impairs the ability of, you know, the fire department. And that's not unique to our city. Any city anywhere in the nation, right? That has to deal with this is, is going to, is literally going to have fewer resources to combat fire as a result of what Donald Trump has done with tariffs. Now, you tell me that a job up on the Iron Rage is worth that. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Taking you into your weekend live and local here tonight on Closing Argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855. If you want to throw a comment my way on our way out the door this evening, let's talk to Mike in Farmington. Welcome to the program. Good
4: evening, Walter. Thanks for taking my
0: call. Anytime.
4: Uh, you uh, The subject of trade and tariffs, is, I know you've touched on it, uh, I guess fairly routinely over the course of the months month and I guess I was just going to bring up a, a few things as I guess I understand them um, with regard to China.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And I think of things like, well, intellectual property theft, mm-hmm. cybercrime, mm-hmm. currency manipulation, mm-hmm. human rights violations. And then I think of ethics and morals. And, you know, we're doing business with these people and it, to me, it just kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. I don't know if this is just hold our nose and we're going to. Uh...
0: Then don't do business with them. Oh, I'm sorry. Then don't do business with them.
4: Well, exactly. Yeah.
0: Well, no, I'm yeah. saying you don't do business with them. Like you don't get to tell me that I can't, right? Like you no, know, I'm you don't sure. get to, you don't get to tell the taxpayers of of my city that they have to pay more money to replace their fire truck because you have moral objections to the way China does business and the way they produce their steel.
4: Well, I I think I'm looking at it, at least in my view, in a bigger context. Do we want to do business with morally reprehensible people?
0: Look, I, I got news for you. You do that every day because everything you buy you know we have this thing called the division of labor and what the division of labor means is that the products and services that you end up consuming at, at the end point of a supply chain there literally thousands of people have contributed to that and most of them are scumbags okay there's like
4: another, there's another aspect excuse me that I just never hear addressed and you know it's well, trump is routinely bash for this but it's it's almost like everything he does is bad and and you and he must have some point there about what is fair and not fair. I mean, does he or is your position as he really has no point at all being uh, treated fairly uh, by everyone?
0: It's not well, it's not a question of look, I think the the fundamental premise that he's operating from and I don't think it's malicious. I don't think he's evil. I just think he's wrong. Like, I just think his, his perception of economic reality is askew. You know, when he talks about he wants to have free trade, but fair trade, that betrays a complete misunderstanding of how economics works. There's no such, there is no distinction between free and fair. The only context in which fair occurs is freedom. You can't, you can't impose through force something that's more free or more fair than free right like how how do you get the, the way any transaction works like if you and i if I, if i wanted to buy i don't know a power tool from you and i come over to your house you're having a garage sale i come over and i i look at it you tell me what you want for it i take a look at it I evaluate what it's worth to me. I consider your price, and we come to an agreement, and I give you money, and you give me your power tool, and we walk away from each other, and we both feel better off. You didn't want to have your power tool. You wanted my cash. I didn't want my cash as much as I wanted your power tool. There we go. What is fairer than that? How is some third person going to come along and be like, you know what, i, I throw in a yellow flag here. I'm crying foul. This, this transaction was unfair, and I'm going to make it so by telling the two of you that you can't engage in trade.
4: Well, I'm not disputing your illustration, but what I'm wondering about is when Trump talks about some of these things, why for, for, I do seem to remember he'd bring up, why don't we have access to their markets? Why, are, why do we have to pay this tariff to try to bring our products into China? I mean, how is that fair then? Wait, the,
0: the, look, <laughs> okay, let me let me approach it from a different perspective because there is a sense... In which this idea of fairness is true, right? Like, and I, <sighs> I struggle, I struggle to articulate it, but it's kind of like if you were standing next to somebody and they took out their gun and they pointed at their own foot and they shot themselves in the foot. And then, in order to be fair, you decided, well, I guess I better take out my gun and shoot myself in the foot. It's only fair. That's what we're talking about, When, to the degree that China places a tax upon their own people to prevent them from receiving the highest value at the lowest cost. They are morons. They are hurting themselves. They are shooting themselves in the foot. Why would we look at that and respond to it by saying, you know how we fix this? We should tax our citizens and keep them from achieving the highest value at the lowest cost. We should shoot ourselves in our foot.
4: Well, this may be an oversimplification, but a lot of what I hear from Trump is, we just want a fair deal. Right. I mean, that's an oversimplification, but... For who?
0: I... I, No, I mean, I understand what I'm suggesting is that the concept of fairness is fundamentally flawed. You're not going to make the deal more like let's put it this way. Let me put it. Let me put it a different way. This is the last
4: idealistic and naive, I guess.
0: No, 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 no. I don't think you're being idealistic. I don't think you're being naive. I just think that the 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 prism through which you're you're viewing the situation is presenting it. To You in a way that isn't accurate. And I I do have to The the shows coming to an end. I appreciate your call as always, Mike. And this is the last way I'll try to characterize it because it's all we got time for the the people who are harmed, the people who are being treated unfairly when China imposes tariffs on American goods are the Chinese. The Chinese are the ones who are being untreated unfairly by Chinese tariffs against American goods. They're the ones who properly have the complaint. They should be the ones who are going to their government and saying, this is ridiculous. Stop it. We want to benefit from American trade. Like, that, they're the ones who should be making the case. We, look, for us, a scenario where China has tariffs on us and we don't have tariffs on them puts us at a competitive advantage. There's no reason to do anything about that. dot TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com.